0: Good evening. All right. All right. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 4. And then you want to mark Luke 4 and turn over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to start in Luke 4, but our main passage this evening is going to be John chapter 9. And basically, tonight's study is just a sequel to what Nate talked about this morning. We're simply just Turning the page from John 8 to John 9. We're continuing our focus on, on Jesus. I'm going to put an emphasis on <clears throat> excuse me, his miracles and what he did and what he does as God. Why did he perform miracles? Why did he proclaim the gospel? It's all explained here in Luke chapter 4. Let's look at verses 16 through 22. 16 through 22. It begins by saying, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that came or were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? I, I love the Bible, and I hope you do too. It's a wonderful book, and it's a book that's not, yes, we get the gospel message the first time, but it's not meant to be completely, completely understood the first time we read or the second time we read. It's a lifelong book. We read it our entire lives. We think about it, and we meditate on it, and it plants seed. And as we grow, those seed grow. And it's a wonderful thing. Every little detail, every phrase is very important to understanding the meaning of the text. And so when you read this, pay attention to how the people are acting, and what they're doing here. Because Jesus is reading out of Isaiah, which is just saying, look, this is the good news. This is Jesus He's going to do amazing things, right? He's going to recover the sight of the blind. And look at verse 20. It says, after that, he steps down and it says, the eyes, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were what? They were fixed on Jesus. How many of us have heard sermons, and they're awesome sermons? I love giving these sermons of you know, focus on Jesus, fix your attention on Jesus. Those are great sermons. We even hear verses and read verses out of Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, about that very point. But you read this passage here, and I don't think that it's an accident that that line is there. And he's going to do amazing things, and they're focusing on Jesus. They have their eyes fixed on Jesus, but it begs the question from these people, yes, they're looking at Jesus But do they really see Jesus? And the sad thing is they don't see Jesus. They see a carpenter's son. They see a person that should be just like them or maybe even less than them. They assign him an identity without any evidence at all. They just assume a certain identity on Jesus. And it's wrong. Despite the evidence, it's absolutely wrong. And the sad thing is it affects how they react. We know the end of this story. People who grew up with him, who know him, just throw him or try to throw him off a cliff. It's horrible. It's horrible. And he gets away. But the thing is, we as Christians today, we can make the same mistake. We can say, look, Jesus, he's my savior. Absolutely. He's, he's delivered me out of captivity and into liberty. But we still live our lives like we are oppressed and we're oppressed by sin and we're oppressed by Satan. It's important that we look at this text and we look at the context here. Look over at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Now, Nate already did the hard work for me in talking about the context of John chapter 8 and 9. Where in John 8, it talks about him as God. We're going to focus more so, though, on his miracles to the blind. And here's some examples. You look at the New Testament and the Gospels of in Jesus' ministry. All the things he did for the blind and the events. Those are amazing things. There's about six, maybe five. Some think number four and five are the same event when you read them. They do sound very similar. And what's awesome about this, I want you to understand a certain fact when it comes to Jesus and healing the blind, is that out of all the miracles in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus is the only one who heals the blind. He's the only one. And the blind man here in John 9 He attests to this, in fact. If you look at verse 32, he says to the Pharisees, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Again, this is on purpose. I believe this to be on purpose. And it goes to show, I believe, that Jesus is the one who's going to help us spiritually see. Which is the point of our lesson this evening. Is how do we see the light? What does it mean to be spiritually blind or to be able to spiritually see? What does that mean? Well, it begins by first understanding that only God can open our eyes spiritually. Only God can do that because we're spiritually blind from our sin, and only God can take away that sin. And so it seems like in our culture today, we live in a very pluralistic society where we think we can open up our own eyes. We can use you know, philosophy and science and higher education to open up our eyes to give us wisdom and all the wisdom that we need, but we're deceiving ourselves when we think that. In fact, when we think that, we're only assigning what we think to be wisdom to a select amount of people, to a small few that can afford it. And that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. What we learn in John 9 and 8... It says he says in verse 5, that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. He is our only path to seeing and being spiritually enlightened. And we learn this very principle in John chapter 9. John 8, this is his identity. He says, I am, alluding to Exodus 3, I am God. And then John 9 is, this is what God does. Jesus is about to do something only God can do. And it's really cool when you read this passage. Look at John 9, verses 1 through 7. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. We might step back from that passage and think, whoa, what a weird way to heal someone, right? If I'm God, why not just say, let there be eyeballs. Let there be vision. Let that man be able to see. But that's not what we get. We get mud. We get mud made by spit. And you might, (laughs) it's a fact. You might read over that and you might think, Why? That's just Jesus being weird. Not going to think much about that. But it's actually really important to the text for two reasons. One, it's the Sabbath. So he wants to stick it to the Pharisees. He's God. And two, and this is the one we're going to focus on this evening, is that it helps us understand when Jesus says, you know, I am, I am God, it goes back to the creation story. It's an allusion to the the forming of man when God created Adam. You go over to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verses 6 and 7. Look at this event. Notice how it ties together. It's a nod, if you will. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, many of us know this. It says, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. I imagine if water was coming up from the ground, it would probably be pretty, what? Muddy. Probably pretty muddy. And then the Lord... Form the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I know sometimes we think, you know, literal dust, and yeah, yeah, probably, maybe. But when you look at the Hebrew definition of that word dust, this can be used in many different ways, translated in different ways. The definition of that word, yes, dust, powder can be used, but there's also clay and earth and, yes, mud, ground, mortar, even rubbish. And so you compare that then to other biblical writings. And you go deeper and deeper. And what you see is, is Jesus is helping us understand this biblical, this, this motif, if you will. For example, look at Job chapter 10. You can follow along on the screen. There's going to be a few passages. Verse 9 tells us, remember that you... May, have made me, it says, like clay, and you will return me to the dust. Jeremiah eighteen, verse six. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O Israel, house of Israel. Isaiah twenty-nine, sixteen. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say to its maker, He did not make me, or he has no understanding? And then Isaiah 64, verse 8, really strikes the meaning, it's, it's, its point here when it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hands. That's the point. That's the point made. And while many of these verses are describing a spiritual truth that God's hand is at work here in our lives and in everything here, Jesus plays into this idea when he makes mud and it gives a richer understanding of what we read in john chapter nine this is a mirror to the creation story and it's so cool when you look at these verses that way because this is a man that's that's born blind and this is the creator and Nate pointed out this morning that's what it's saying jesus is the creator now, of course, many people believe that this man being born blind was born without eyes. We don't know. That is a medical, a medical condition. I'm not going to try to pronounce that word, <laughs> and I don't recommend you Google it. And it is sad, though. It is a tragedy, and it helps us understand that that is an injustice. But all of this is to hopefully show in an interesting way, again, that Jesus is the creator and that only someone who could... You'll make eyes or make them new and allow this person to see, to create the world, to make you and me can heal our spiritual blindness. Only Jesus can do that. He's the key to understanding what we need in life, to seeing the truth. And of course, there's more to that. But what we read in verse 5 is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And what has he commanded us? as the body, as the church to do. To go out, he sent us out to be reflections of him, of that light. Just as he sent the blind man out, he sent him out to the pool to go wash. I want you to think about that for a second. He sent a blind man on a journey in darkness. And what did the blind man do? Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but I'm blind. Can't do that. If you could take my hand, that'd be Nice. No, I don't really feel like it. He didn't do any of that. He just did. And that's, that's something for us to consider. Is that when the creator tells us to do something, we do it. If we're going to have our eyes opened by Jesus, verse 4, we have to work the works of God who sent us, who sent even Jesus, while we have opportunity. Because as Jesus says, night is coming, and there will be a day where time runs out, and we won't be able to do that. And so as we have opportunity, we work the works that he has for us. Okay, so only Jesus can can open our eyes spiritually. And to be spiritually opened, we need to understand that Jesus is God. But what do we do with that? And that's where we move into the application for our lesson this evening. What does that mean for me? We have to look at John 9 again. Read with me, reread with me, verses 1 through 3. Follow along your Bibles, verse 1, that says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in Him. In life, there are people that are born blind. There are people who are born with disadvantages in life. We see this today. We're humans. Nothing has changed here. It's just a fact. And it's not that there is a specific sin. Sometimes there's this injustice just because, as we see here, what seems like And this is where we make the mistake, what seems like for no reason at all. But that's not it. That's not it at all. It's important that if we are going to have our eyes spiritually open, that we have the perspective Jesus had, and not the perspective that the Pharisees had. That's a mistake that we can make. And so we have to ask the question, how does God see those who are wrongly and unjustly, maybe handicapped? Dive further into that question for a second. How does he see those who are hurting, who are asking questions, who are searching, those who are held captive, those who hate themselves, who are sad, depressed, stuck in broken relationships or abusive relationships? How does he see those people? How does Jesus see those people? He sees them as opportunities for God's works to be displayed in verse 3. But you look at the text and you look at what the disciples are doing and even what the Pharisees think and many of the Jewish people who are walking around at that time and they see these people who are hurting and they just say, that's God's judgment because of a sin. Look at verse 34. The Pharisees say to this blind man, notice what they say to him. You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and what do they do? They cast him out. Anyone who reads Job or Ecclesiastes knows that's, that's, not, that's not right. Do they not understand the scriptures? Do they misread something here? And there are times, we know this, where we have to pay the consequences of our sin. That's true. And maybe even the sins of others. There is sin in the world because we live in a broken, fallen world and sin as a whole. But it's not always specific like that. And so if we have that worldview, we make the mistake of thinking that people are just sinners. They're just sinners. They're sinners walking around, suffering, suffering, instead of seeing them as people made in the image of God. We fail to love others as we love ourselves. Because I haven't sinned as bad as that person over there. And that's what makes Jesus stand out as a light, is that he knows God's word, he speaks the truth, he says, no, that's not it. It's not because of a sin that this man is born blind. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have that opinion. I don't have that perspective. That perspective is kind of archaic. I don't think like the Pharisees do. And you might be right. Many of us, many of us don't. But it doesn't doesn't mean we can't make the same mistake. Because that mindset can take on many different forms. It can take on the form of what we call today as tribalism. I'm going to help my own and my own only. I'm going to talk to and connect with only those in my circle. I'm going to give. And the help those in need that only I know, or in my family, or in my church, and that's it. And that mindset is very destructive. Because Jesus sees people as works of compassion, and not evil just walking around. He sees people as moments when God's work can be displayed. And that's something for us to understand if we're going to be able to see the light. Because he sees people made in the image of God, not just some icky, nasty, disgusting person I don't want to associate with. And that should be application for us. You know, what do we do when we're in that situation and we don't know what to do? We don't know how to help this person at all. What I do? We ask ourselves, how can God's work be displayed in this moment? We don't have to expect it to be a supernatural thing or a showy thing at all. No. Look at a few examples of Jesus healing the blind. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Keep your marker in John 9, but Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. Notice what Jesus does here. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. Two blind men were sitting by the road, And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. So they recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. But what does the crowd do? The crowd scolded them to get them to be be quiet, be quiet. But they shouted even more loudly, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped them, called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. The crowd right here, the people, the disciples even, and the Pharisees, they take these people, they they set them aside. And what does Jesus do? More importantly, what does he ask? With a servant's heart, he asks, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And then compassion comes. And out of compassion comes action. Look over at Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, when Jesus heals another blind man very humbly in Mark 8, verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. That's nice. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village opposite of John 9. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he set him home, saying, do not even enter the village. Jesus acts differently every time because he knows what people need in every situation. He pays attention to their needs. These people desire to see. They desire to know what is going on around them this entire time and what's been evident and what they know to be true. And I think that can be us. Where we can see the evidence of God and we can see the evidence of God all around us. And yet so many of us live our lives ignoring it, blind. Do we desire to see what is around us? And what has been around us this entire time? Do you know the answer? I'll give you the answer. It's moments of opportunity for God's work to be displayed. It's people experiencing pain and searching for answers and Jesus being the answer. And all you have to ask is, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? In the end, the person in John 9, the blind man, his faith grows. Turn over there in John chapter 9 and look at this man's faith and how it can apply to us. We see this progression. As he sees Jesus, as he gets to know Jesus, how does he see Jesus? How does he see him? How does he identify Jesus? And it makes us wonder how we see Jesus. Do we see him as our savior and as our deliverer? Or do we refuse to be delivered? Or live our lives like that? So in verse 11, notice after he's been healed, the people are like, wow, how did this happen? And this man, the blind man says, look, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. All right. It's great. But then the Pharisees come and they interrogate and they, in, they investigate this man and they ask him, well, what do you think of Jesus? A little bit later. And what does he say in verse 17? Or the Pharisees say, what do you say of him since he has opened your eyes? And the, the blind man apparently has been thinking about this a little bit and he says, well, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And then he leaves. They cast him out. You remember? They cast him out. And I've always read this as him searching for Jesus. And it's not the case at all. Verse 35, in fact, Jesus hears that he's been cast out. And Jesus is the one that goes and finds him. It says in verse 35, Jesus heard that he had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So he's, he's searching for answers. Like, I want to believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Do you see the progression there? From saying, claiming is just a man, to know it's a prophet. I'm looking for answers here, to know this, this is God. This is the Son of Man. This is the Lord. The blind man, I'm sure, is happy that this guy healed him. Great. But as he starts thinking about this, this is more serious. Like, wow, this is an amazing thing. And it's nice that a prophet has healed me. But once he realizes this is God, it creates in him an impulse to what? To worship Jesus. And that projection leads to spiritual enlightenment. How we see Jesus creates in us different responses. And maybe you're that blind man and you're looking for your eyes to be opened. Jesus is the answer. The Pharisees here, they cast this man out. They kick him to the curb, they throw him in the streets where he came. But Jesus does the opposite. Jesus hears that he's cast out and takes him off the streets takes him away, brings him out of where he came and gives him a new home and a new purpose and a new life. And that can be true for you today. We have to be like the blind man and say, Lord, I believe. We have to rely, you have to rely on the works of Jesus to wash away your sins in baptism. You have to be like that blind man who washes away the mud so that he can see. If you want to be baptized, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins tonight. Come forward now while we stand.